Welcome to another episode of Postulating Solutions with Preachers. I'm your host, John Perkins, and I'm here with the preaching pride of Charleston, West Virginia, Matthew J. Watts. And we have a wonderful, I mean, fantastic episode for you today because we have two special guests coming to you from the West Coast. I tell you, number one, I I can't tell you enough. This this one brother I met years ago at a conference and met him, and this brother was spitting hot fire from the mic. And I said, this dude is operating totally at a, at a genius level. I said, what's his name? They said, this man's name is Propaganda. I said, man, I need to get to know this guy. We hit it off <laughs> ever since. How you doing, Propaganda? Wes, Wes, how y'all feeling, man? I'm good. <laughs> and, and also with us is a guy who needs no introduction. He's a he's 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 a surfer. He's also a a musician. He's also he writes a song every day. I mean, committed to his craft. A genius also in his craft. I'm telling you, this man is a lead singer. The uh, the group. The band called Switchfoot. This is John Foreman, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, what's happening? <laughs> Listen, uh, hey, you ever been intro like that, John? I never I, been intro like this. I got a recording because I want to start every set like that. That's what I'm. Saying. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> you just gotta, you just gotta bring me to uh, one or two cities and let oh, me bring you out. That's what you gotta do. Let me bring you out. <laughs> After introductions like that, they can't wait to hear what they have to say. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but look, Pastor Watts, man, we, we, we've been having a blast doing this podcast, but also it's been very serious and very tense lately in our country. And we have been talking about justice actually from the very beginning. I mean, this is a justice podcast. We've been postulating solutions as preachers about justice, right? That's correct. Particularly justice for the poor. And now it seems as if, it seems as if our subject, it seems as if uh, what we're talking about has been thrust into the limelight. So I think it's time, Pastor Watch, for us to start to think about what it is that we can, what we can do to bring economic development, economic justice to bear. What do you think? Well, you know, you and I have been having conversation around this idea of postulating a solution of the of the hope 202020 economic justice and economic equity movement and really trying to encourage people to kind of focus on all these resources that's come to the cities uh, or the states under the CARE Act. And over $150 billion have come to uh, states all over the United States of America, Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico, and some of the, uh, the island territories under the United States control. And what we're doing here in West Virginia, I think you're doing the same thing in Mississippi, basically is trying to create a movement to request uh, that the governors of our state uh, would set aside 20% of the $1.25 billion that West Virginia has received on the CARAX funds. 20% of that, uh, which would be $250 million. And then that money would be targeted at the census tracts in our state that have poverty rates at 20% or higher. So we have 486 census tracts. 220 of them have poverty rates 20% or higher because we're one of the poorest states in the union 
similar to Mississippi, and that those funds would then be targeted to the census tracts at the community level to focus on building place and the people in that place with the strategic initiatives uh, that would be designed to address poverty and other social determinants of health, things like access to health care, community-based education initiatives, workforce development, et cetera, at that level to where local nonprofit organizations and local small businesses uh, would receive funds to really build an economic base within the community. And so we believe that it would make sense to do that with all these resources that's been allocated. And some states are having difficulty spending these monies because they've not had large uh, spread, large outbreaks of COVID-19. And we think this is consistent with what the federal government has already did in the past, a couple of years ago, when he passed the Tax Reform Act, basically, which was a, a tax break for the wealthy, if they would bring resources that had overseas accounts, Cayman Islands, repatriate those monies back to the United States, invest them in census tracts at 20% poverty levels, they would then get a huge windfall in terms of reduction in capital gains tax. Plus, they were able to see returns on their investment. And maybe a poor person might get help through that process. So we think now is the time to bring attention to the issue of poverty in this country. Now's the time to bring attention to the need to invest strategically in the places and the people, place-based, uh, people-focused. And, and lastly, what, what I'm trying to uh, suggest is that this money through the CARE Act, my great-great-grandchildren are going to pay this money back. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so I would like to see some of this money come into these communities where we start building equity in the community with, with nonprofits and yeah. individuals and so forth. And the last thing I'll say about that, John, is that our communities, and you now talk about this, they become economic transfer centers. And basically, uh, yes. through the, the welfare program, monies are just coming to our neighborhoods. Yes, the people get some benefit, but the money fuels the local economy, goes back up the chain uh, to the suppliers, to the distributors, to the manufacturers, to the stockholders, et cetera. And the people are no better off uh, than what they were before the monies came. Uh, as has been the case with these checks that came into the community. I'm sure the people needed that money, but the money really is just transferred through the neighborhood. There has to be some strategic investments into these distressed areas. If there is not, what you're going to find is after all this marching and all this demonstrating and all this protesting, and when people begin to realize that just trying to reform the police does not change the economic trajectory of the people or the place where they live, I think you're going to find a tremendous disenchantment and a tremendous frustration that's going to build up. People realize that they're they may not be much better off than what they were before. And this whole reform of police thing, though, needed, it's going to take years. 19,000 police uh, units around the country. It's a heavy lift. You got to start somewhere. But yes. It's an incredible That's heavy lift. And at the same time, we got to do some other things. So, Yeah, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So I'm, I'm going to start somewhere today with propaganda. Is that all right? Let's go. I'm, I'm going to start somewhere today. Again, look, uh, Prop, you, you said you put out a post a little while ago, said there was 10 things hmm. that people don't know about you. Yeah. I was showing someone who you were as I was showing them who you were. There was it, it, it pulled up this, I mean, fantastic I mean, absolutely fantastic spoken word piece that was about the 4th of July. And it, yeah, and yeah. it covered the fact that 
there was a husband man and the wife and the husband man oppressed the wife. And and now <laughs> I I get a sense and a feel that you're you are communicating such that the wife is supposed to fix the husband. Talk to me about that. Yeah. So the poem's called 20 Years. I love that you brought that up. And and it's the idea of, you know, I oftentimes think that like the best way for somebody to understand something that's either shocking or hard to swallow is to pull out from from the topic and move it somewhere else in the same way. Like if you Bible reader, you know, the same way Nathan, same thing Nathan did to David. You know what I'm saying? Like, let me just step away from it for a second and look at it like this, you know? So the idea is it's a married couple who has been, the husband's been abusing this wife for 20 years. Somehow she stays, he decides to stop. And he, let's just say he stopped. I'm going to be generous and say he stopped 20 years ago. Right. So it's 40 Mm -hmm. years later. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And now they're throwing some sort of wedding anniversary and, and they're inviting everybody they know. Right. And at this party, He's asking since he stopped hitting her to not bring up what happened before, because that is because it's over now. Let's just be let's talk about unity. Like, you know, let's let's just be united. Right. Um, Whereas in in but in no place in the story has he attempted to make to make that right. He just stopped doing it. Right. And if ever she causes trouble, somehow it's her fault. You know what I mean? Uh, Somehow she's holding on to the past. Like she's she's the basically she's the problem. Right. By uh, not just being thankful for all the advances. Right. So it's, it's essentially it's an allegory about race relations in America. You know what I'm saying? That like, okay, yeah, you stop. Yeah, slavery's over, but you act like I don't have dog marks all over my back and whips all over my back and that I don't all, that I don't still feel them. You know what I'm saying? And every time you tell me I got to shut up about it, it just reopens that wound. You know what I'm saying? Um, where all of us would think that it's ridiculous to tell this wife to just shut up and smile, right? We all think that's ridiculous, right? So- I don't understand why you don't think that's ridiculous with an entire people group, you know? So, so ultimately, you know, what, what, what I'm trying to say is like, you want me to just celebrate this, you want me to just celebrate this country and you know what I'm saying? And just act like everything's all right when everything's not all right. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, yeah, you stop hitting me, but the scars ain't gone and you haven't done anything to try to make right the last 20 years, you know? So that's that's the that's the kind of the point I'm trying to make. But to take that a step further is like, is it the wife's job to now put her husband in through counseling and teach him what he's done wrong? Come on. Right. And then to coach him to healing like that's that's abusive also. Right. So like at some point, the husband got to do the work. Right. You have to. You have to do the work. So I guess ultimately that's what I'm saying to like the the power structures of America. Like, look, man, you can't the, the phrase I always go to is like you, you can't expect me to describe the smell of your boot leather while it's on my neck. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you you know what you're doing. You know what I'm saying? You know what you have done and you know what you what you have lived off the successes that you have gained. 
you know it's wrong. You know it is. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, you don't need me to tell you. I, like, why are we, in a lot of ways, I'm like, especially going back to, you know, what Pastor was saying about economic, you know, disparities and different, like, you know this is wrong. You don't need me to explain this. Why are we playing this game that you think we both know what you're doing? You putting this right. in our pocket just to get it right back. You, mm. I'm not stupid and you're not stupid. Why do we keep playing this? You know, like- in prop, a, prop, yeah. prop, prop, prop. You, you John, you, you know this brother operated at genius level. I, I already told you that. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we know that. Defund the police has become this mantra today. And and as a matter of fact, I mean, uh, the police has been militarized, right? And uh, and the military um, has been called on these American citizens today. I mean, this has been something big, but you used as an analogy, as an example, the serial. Uh, Tell our listeners. Tell our listeners, give us the serial example, please. So the serial example is this. Let's just say you got a big old bowl of Cheerios, right? And Uh let's just pretend like the Cheerios is a city budget, right? And then you got other cups and you take from that cereal bowl of Cheerios and you divvy them up into different cups, right? So you got one cup is housing, one cup is education, one cup is parks, one cup is sanitation, whatever the case may be. But the lion's share is for policing. And if we looking at Los Angeles, that's what I'm talking about, like $3 billion is is the police budget, right? Now, that makes sense if you expect the police to do all the things that they're doing, right? Mm. But, Mm. But a lot of the things that the police are doing, not only are they not equipped to do, they're not trained to Mm. do, and they shouldn't have to do in the Mm. first place, right? So, so, so why are we giving, you know, the old saying, like, if all you have is a hammer, everything's a nail. So if, if the police, if it's the police job to handle all these different things, then of course we're going to see what we're seeing. So, so you take this big old bowl of Cheerios that is the police budget and you go, is it really, okay. So when you see someone Maybe there's a violation because somebody's loitering. Well, that person might be homeless, right? California, homelessness is is like, I mean, we lead the world, you know what I'm saying? Or we lead the nation to homelessness. So like, if you send in a cop, I mean, where's the guy gonna go? He homeless, you know what I'm saying? So maybe you take some of that money and you invest in affordable housing. Now that's off the cop's plate, right? And now there's money for that. That way you don't have to come do that, right? If we're having sort of domestic disputes, Maybe you don't need a cop. You need a therapist. Right. So you take Uh that money and you send trained therapists. Right. And we train therapists in that situation. Now you've just already deescalated the things. You take some of the money and you say, "Okay, I know a lot of the stuff when I got in trouble when I was in high school, I just bored. You know what I'm saying? So you after school and it's like, hey, I bet you I could steal that PS4 out of this fool's house without him noticing. Like, I'm not a thief. I really don't need it. I'm probably Uh going to put it back. I'm just bored. You know, I'm going to write my name on the wall because I'm bored. You know what I mean? So how about you take that money that that is going to give me a ticket and put me on the gang injunctions. Right. And now now I got a criminal record as a juvenile. Rather than that, just how about some after school programs? Now the cop is not dealing with like little stupid kids that I know from in my in my life. I was more afraid of my mama. 
You know what I'm saying? Finding out I got in trouble than anything else. So all you had to do, all that cop could have to do is just like, whoop, whoop, I'm going to tell your mama, I'm running home. You understand what I'm saying? You ain't got to tie me up because I'm scared of my mama. You know what I'm saying? So, So what that does is, this cop is tired and he overworked and he pissy and he got a short, he got a short fuse cause he overworked. He doing stuff he ain't supposed to do. So it already is proven that these programs make the city safer, right? You have less interaction with the police, right? Therefore less chances of violence, right? And then now you leave the officers to do what they train to do. And they ain't got this surplus of money to buy tanks and, and automatic weapons because you ain't got the money for it and you don't need it. So that's, that's the point I was trying to make. Yeah. Uh, on last episode, we talked about just how many people who are in prison uh, 74% who have not committed the crimes that they commit. Yeah. Uh, and then 20, uh, one out of four are in there with mental illness and need help, um, really in there with sickness and things of that yeah. sort. And we'll post, we'll post these things. We, we, we'll post these things in the show notes and hopefully yeah. prop you'll give us permission to post some of these things to For sure. get some of these links or what you're just, sharing. Just, yeah. I just would say like, well. absolutely. Like how preposterous it is. If your daughter, just think about how preposterous this is. Your daughter has a cold, right? And she's coughing and you're like, why didn't you do the dishes? And she goes, well, I, because I have a cold. And then you go, well, you're grounded for not doing the dishes. And you're like, what? did you just ground her for, she's sick though. Like, I don't understand why you think punishing her is going to get the dishes done. That just doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. So right. just like you said, if somebody is not well, why do you think criminalizing that's just, mm-hmm. it's just not even logical, you know? So, right. so, so what, when you hear things like, yo, there's, there's reform, there's defunding, and then there's complete reimagining, right? What we're talking about is a complete reimagination because for right. some reason, it's not like you should be more gentle to people that have mental issues when you put them in jail. No, they shouldn't go to jail. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like reimagine this. Right. That's that's what Pastor Watts has been saying. And and that's what I have been rebuttaling uh, and, 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 and co-signing from Pastor Watts. He's been sharing that, hey, this is just really, really a reimagining of how we police in this country. You want to address that, Pastor Watts? I think he did it extremely well. We've got to decide how we're going to handle people that are hurting as uh, as propaganda pointed out. But also that a lot of this is employment opportunities that if we create an employment opportunity for every able-bodied person that wants to work, that in itself is therapeutic. That in itself uh, gives a person, you know, a purpose, a meaning, a reason for getting up. And there'll be a lot less crime and a lot less interaction with a law enforcement if we had a commitment to full employment. But we don't have a commitment to full employment. So we end up trying to manage what I call the surplus of undereducated and underskilled labor. We no longer need them in the military, right? Because our military is a fraction of what it was 50, 60 years ago. One and a half million people in the military now versus three and a half million people at the height of Vietnam. 
conflict. We no longer need them in manufacturing because our manufacturers are fraction what it used to be. $20 million, 20 million people in the 60s, now probably maybe 12. And so we got a surplus of people that we don't have a place to deploy them to do work. And so we have created the prison industrial complex as a way of being able to manage and control this surplus of labor. We made a commitment some years ago to defund mental health institutions. And so the prisons are also, and law enforcement is picking up on that. So I agree with everything that is said, but we're going to find that a lot of these problems cannot be addressed uh, until we have a commitment to full employment. And if it means the government has to hire people, it would be much cheaper than what we're currently doing. And we keep talking around that. Uh, lastly, they did a big expose here in Charleston, West Virginia, and they came and interviewed me. And they said, Reverend Weiss, well, why do you think all those young men are, are standing over there on, on third and brain? And, and why are they on Stockton the second? Why are they just standing over there? And I said, that's probably the simplest answer to that question that I could imagine. He said, what is it? I said, they have nowhere else to be. Simple. No, they have no one else to be. No one expects them to be anywhere else. No one is waiting for them to come to do something that they need to have done. So they're trying to find meaning with each other. And what they have is the fellowship of each other in that corner until the police comes and runs them off of it or find some reason to have to search one of them and find some and take them to jail. Men and women need meaningful things to do. If they don't have something meaningful to do, meaningful to do, then they're going to get into something that is not healthy for them and not healthy for the society. There's no better voice in this country on prison uh, reform, the prison industrial complex, the 100-year war on drugs, than Pastor Matthew Watts. Uh, we really got to get this brother's voice out there. And uh, this is one of the reasons postulating solutions with preachers is is alive is because <laughs> we got to get this brother's voice out there. Brother John Foreman. Is that the John Foreman? Is that the John Foreman? Hey, that's the, the John <laughs> Foreman. Listen, listen, listen. John, um, if the story is told that you were about done wrapping up this album, as you wrapped up this album, they said, oh, cut, <laughs> it's a wrap. Uh, good job, guys. <laughs> and then you said, no, 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 I got one more. And you went into the closet and you, you had been reading this book at every break. And you went into the closet and you started writing some stuff down. And you said it came to you pretty quickly, about 10, 15 minutes. And you came back out and said, follow me. <laughs> and so the song came out to be the sound, the John M. Perkins blues. You know, my grandfather, Dr. John M. Perkins, celebrated 90 years on yesterday. He's 90 years old on yesterday. And so I guess I'm asking you, what possessed you to go back in there and write that song that became such a hit? I, yeah, I, had, I mean, it, that's pretty much the story. Yours, yours plays out better than, than the reality. It, <laughs> it sounds like a movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to write the film, right? It's true. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty much like that. And um, I had been... Reading Let Justice Roll Down, your grandfather's book, memoir about his experience. Um, and it, you know, as a songwriter, you're always looking for stories. You want to tell a good story. I, I love a good story. And we were making this record, and I'm thinking to myself, 
this story is a story that needs to be told. And I got a, I got a guitar right here and we got a microphone. We, we need to tell this story, you know? And, and so it, yeah, it, it happened really fast. And then I had been given the book by a friend of mine, Charles Marsh, who also knows your grandfather. He, he teaches at uh, UVA and he's, he's given me some incredible books over the years, but none of them had inspired me like, like this story of um, forgiveness in a way that just uh, felt, like I said, it felt like this, this transcendent gift that defies human explanation to be able to forgive your oppressors, to forgive your enemies, um, to forgive the very people that are trying to steal your life from you, you Mm -hmm. know? And so, that that was the inspiration for the song, and that was the story that I I I mean we played that song all over the world. We've we played it, you know, Japan, Australia. We've opened for Bon Jovi playing that song in Europe. You know, I mean, it's just I feel like when when I when we play that song, it feels like I can I can uh, feel like I'm hugging your your grandpa, bringing him on stage for that moment. You know. Yeah, you were able to share words of justice, you are able to um, create a stream of justice with that song. And now it just seems like uh, you, you, you wrote a post um, a couple weeks ago and it, just, it said something like, America, who are you? Right. Why is it that you feel and, and I know this term, you know, because I, I get to hang out with you every now and then. You know what I mean? I get I notice this surfing term. You know what I mean? Most brothers in the hood, like where I am, y'all need to know where I'm at. I'm in the hood, y'all. <laughs> this is, my studio is in the hood. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, most brothers where I am don't know no surfing terms like outgun. You know, why is it that you feel outgun? Yeah. You know what I mean? Why is it? Why is it that we have to ask the question, America? Who are you? Yeah, I mean, I feel well, especially in this conversation right here. Um, like I said on the phone earlier a couple times, I feel honored to be invited to the conversation, but I'm here to listen. You know, I feel like I got I got a million questions. I'm gonna aim like four hundred thousand at um you know pastor watts right, if i right. could <laughs> and um and yeah i think for me we've written a bunch of songs we've had lecrae on a track talking america who are you and i feel like that that is a question it's an open-ended question that we are defining mm-hmm. with every breath that we breathe as a nation we are entering into a new time where we are defining ourselves we are not defined by a monarchy or a king's decision. So we, the people are making the choices. And my hope is that we can rise above who we've been. And my fear is that the heart of man is deceitfully wicked above all things. And, and that gives me pause because I, I know that it's a bunch of hearts of men that are making the laws, you know? And so, uh, yeah, that's, that's why I feel like conversations like these are so imperative to move forward. And I, I think, I do think that music and art mm-hmm. has a, an opening into culture that, that very few things do. Sport has that same ability to start a conversation. And I, I want to take advantage of the, the platform I've been given to talk about the stories that matter most to America. 
Man, that that's you, you hit the nail right on the head. Um, as we talk about music, I mean, what you're doing, what propaganda is doing, transcends culture, and it creates culture. Hmm. It creates the culture of the day, and and it also communicates to the society what is being felt from the people of the culture. And that's why the songs are being played. The songs are being played because it's communicating, hey, this is communicating how I feel. You know, this is communicating what I feel like. And and when those things are uh, able to happen, man, wow. I mean, just like you and I were sharing over 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 text, you know, hey, if that brother in in Atlanta, and and I want any any one of y'all to to address this, right? And maybe all of y'all to address it, right? Uh, very quickly. But if, the, if that brother in Atlanta had have been fell asleep to the ball game on Monday night football playing on his, on his radio and the officers came up, you know, tapped him on the window and they rolled down the window and they said, Matt Ryan is dropping back to pass and Julio Jones is, is going to the corner mm-hmm. and he throws a ball to the corner of the end zone and, 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 and Julio Jones reaches above his hand, touchdown! And they all would have said, yes, sports transcends race. So quickly, they would have put down their guns. It probably wouldn't have been a fight. Am I making sense? Talk to me, somebody. I'm, I'm like Farrakhan today. Talk to me. <laughs> let, 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 let me see if I can jump in, John. I want to uh, sort of uh, piggyback on something Brother John Foreman said. It's that I, I, I agree 100% mm-hmm. that sports and music are the two international languages that transcends you know, national boundaries. But one, I think, can take you deeper into dealing with reality and dealing with real life and force you to do some introspective thinking because of the lyrics and because of the words. And I think the other one takes you away from reality. It takes you to fantasy land, to fantasy island. And that's what's happening. It takes you to fantasy. And that's why these people are so upset at LeBron James. Wait a minute, you know, Shut up and dribble. I mean, you you make us feel good. Mm-hmm. We happy when y'all are playing sports. We don't want y'all to think and to challenge and to push back. And that's what sports has been. Don't say nothing to me. Yeah, th- that's why they called it the, the great baseballs of the American pastime yeah. when I was a kid growing up. You guys don't remember that, but it was a game. You sit around and pastime and talk and whatever. But sports has created false reality that we gather society based on meritocracy. It's, it's a false reality that is based on equality, yes. right? And it's, it's, it's just an, it's an illusion. We create this grand illusion. Come on, come on. And, and now for the first time, because athletes like LeBron James and like uh, Colin Kaepernick starting to speak up. Well, no, we are, we're human beings. You know, we are, we're African-American men. We feel that we feel the pain of our people. Yeah. And though we may have been placed on this uh, elevator and this conveyor belt to be moved away from our people because of our athletic pride. We've been treated differently. We're different from the brother on the corner on the street because of our athleticism. Wow. And, and, and we, we've been living in yeah. this denial for some some time. Michael Jordan, all those guys, right? In the state of denial. Tiger Woods, O.J. Simpson, they had transcended, right? Yeah, they... they O.J. I'm not black. I'm not black. 
I'm OJ. Yeah, I'm OJ. One of the most most powerful things I've ever heard in my entire life, right, in my entire life, was when they did the series on OJ Simpson. And when the police officers were recounting what happened when they, he'd been on the chase and he comes back home, right? And then he sees all of those people that's near his, near his where he lives. What they quote him as saying, he says, what are all these Negroes, he didn't say Negroes, doing in Brentwood? <laughs> that's what he says, right? Yeah. Because he didn't see himself, right, as an African-American person. Yeah, so that's... that's that, 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 anyway, so I'll start right there. I got to get propaganda in there. <laughs> yeah, no, I wanted to... Yeah, I wanted to jump in there too and talk about like a lot of times I feel like sports in a lot of ways and in music in some ways, or at least like celebrity different than music, but cause the music itself like is pushing the narrative, but like celebrity, yeah, I don't think true. it transcends, but it flattens race. You know what I'm saying? So it makes these, these athletes and these artists person less mm-hmm. like their, their race less, you know what I'm saying? So like, what's the name? Uh, like Saturday night live did that skit a while back when Beyonce performed at the Super Bowl, And it was just like, they nailed it. Like this whole skit about, America realizing that Beyonce was black. Like when she did her performance with all the uh, Black Panthers and stuff, it was the most amazing thing. They were just like, oh my God, Beyonce's black. Because you never thought about it. You know what I'm saying? So it's because because Mm -hmm. celebrity has a way of flattening race. You know what I'm saying? That's good stuff. Yeah, yeah. You you which is goes back to again like the whole LeBron James things where it's like, oh yeah. I forgot you were a black man mm-hmm. in America. I thought you were LeBron James. You were- <laughs> and LeBron James is going, what? Wait, what? I don't, huh? You know what I'm saying? So, oh. so that I, 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 and then, and then why some, yeah. you understand what I'm saying? So why, why somebody like Jay-Z made the line about in, in 444 about OJ Simpson when he said, you know, which was the, I mean, it said it all. Like he said, OJ yeah, be yeah. like, I'm not black. I'm OJ. Then he goes, okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay. You know what I'm saying? And, and, And that, because so when you look across the table as somebody that starts believing, you know, Right. What this system, what this, what this, what this capital system, like you said, this myth of meritocracy is telling you, you know what I'm saying? Right. You look over it again, like even within the sport, you could look at Mike Vick and be like, I know they hung that man to dry. You know what I'm saying? And they was trying to tell that man he wasn't a quarterback. Why? Because he's black. You know, I'm like, how you like, I thought I was a, I thought I just had to be good at the job. He had to prove he was, you know what I'm saying? You had to be exceptionally good. So so they punishing the man because he was athletic, because he was fast and he could run. <laughs> right. Mean he ain't smart enough to be a quarterback. I'm because like, you he, see that man's kid? the greatest thing you ever seen at the They ain't never seen nothing like it's it. Great. And it was like, well, you're not supposed to be that smart. You ain't supposed to be that oh, smart. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah, because again, it flattens. Yeah until it's inconvenient, right? Uh, and then once it's inconvenient, right? Once like in and 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 John, John, you know in a lot of ways, I know you experienced it. Like you start making these songs that are highlighting black voices, you mean it's like I know, John, 
in a lot of ways, now we not necessarily in the same industry, but we kind of move in the same circles. You understand what I'm saying? I know you got uninvited to stuff. You know what I'm saying? You, right? <laughs> you think I don't know that? You feel me? It works both ways. It's like, John, I don't know, man. You're kind of pushing, you know, because again, you supposed to be a right. product. Well, you supposed to be a product, you know? And so we, when we ever, whenever we play the sound, we have footage in the verses and there's a, we made a music video in of the whole thing and it's civil right unrest, like footage of the cops and, and, and like different really poignant moments that kind of matches with the, the music. Um, mm-hmm. And at the time, 10 years ago, this felt really different than what you were seeing on the TV. You know, like yeah. you weren't seeing this kind of footage very often. I mean, of course, every now and then you're seeing uh, things flare up, but it felt very unlike what we're seeing right now on TV all the time. And the the last week, which felt like a decade, um, it felt like it, it, it it was the oddest thing for me is, was playing that footage whenever we'd play it in like Canada or Australia, because it would show like the American flag and and this, this imagery. Mm -hmm. And it felt like, I felt like we were bringing, I was bringing American baggage into the party where they're like, we came here to have a good time. What? You guys are, yeah, what you is guys this? got your problems, but you guys leave them when you enter our country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like, I don't know. It's, it was a very strange thing. Um, even just, you know, you play it in America, it felt like, okay, this is a poignant moment. Let's mm-hmm. talk this through. Let's Maybe this can change our, our perspective. But it was very strange in Australia in particular. I remember this one moment just looking out and feeling like the audience is like, you guys, you guys got to sort that out. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys yeah. deal with your stuff. Yeah, I played a gig in New Zealand and they were kind of like, you know, after, you know, a lot of the organizers after the performance, like kind of asking me like, (laughs) hey, how come America can't figure this out? Yeah. Like, why don't you, why are y'all, why is it still a problem with (laughs) y'all? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna get us out of here on this. Um, But I, cause, cause I always want us to push towards the idea that we're postulating solutions, right? And y'all all have become <laughs> preachers. So um, how do we move this energy towards economic justice? Because the, the fact remains, and what we're arguing is that welfare in this country just keeps the status quo. Right. This is what uh, what Pastor Watts is arguing. Yeah. This is what I'm I'm saying in regards to the fact that, hey, um, the poor is getting poor, if if anything. Um, but, hey, it just keeps there to be a safety net to make sure that people don't drop below a certain below a certain point. How do we perpetuate and change the trajectory in regards to the laws being changed? Right. In the state that I'm living in. It's the second highest incarceration in the whole nation. The laws are, are not just. How do we how do we perpetuate this on a national level? Yeah, I mean, that's like that's the like the the that's the question of the centuries, right? Like, you know, uh I I I have this 
a level of cynicism in the not a hopelessness, but of cynicism in the sense of like, I can imagine what we could be. So I'm kind of frustrated that we're not that already. So like that sort of cynical, like the looking forward, cynical, the prophetic imagination, cynical, you know what I'm saying? And, and in that I know, and I'm always prepared that the empire will always strike back. Hello, Star Wars. The empire always strikes back and the empire will always protect its bag. So bag being its money, you know what I'm saying? So it's going to, it's going to secure its bag at all times, at all points. At the end of the day, you start talking about money, it's going to protect its money. So in my mind, pressure comes. I feel like change comes when one, we're prepared for the empire to strike back and have a response. Right. And two, when we start actually really using the power we have to pull those purse strings in my mind. Now, to be more specific, I know in California how much power we have locally, you know what I'm saying, of like, you know, right now, if you ask me who's our, who's the LAUSD superintendent, I'm embarrassed. I have no idea, but I voted them in, you know what I'm saying, right? You know, uh, these are open meetings. Our city council meetings, they're open. They're open to the public. You know what I'm saying? So like when I start talking about, okay, it's real simple. Here's y'all's budget. It's open. You do this or we not paying our property tax. It's pretty simple. You know what I'm saying? Like you, 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 you put this person in power, right? Or I'm pulling my kids and putting them in a different district. I understand you get $4,000 a day Every time my child is at school, every time my child clicks here, you get $4,000. It's real easy for me to look at my neighbor who don't speak English, right? And I start talking to my neighbor in Spanish and start telling him, hey, this is the situation. This is what they're doing to us in our community. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pull our kids from LAUSD. I will help. I will help in the uh, 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 transportation of these children because I got a big enough car, right? We're going to go over there to the Monterey Park School District. Because Monterey Park is divvying the money right. You know what I'm saying? It's only 10 minutes the other way, right? So I could either go 10 minutes this way and give y'all $20,000 or 10 minutes this way and give my $20,000 to a district that's listening to me. So in my mind, it's like there's, there's the basic part of, you know, fighting with our votes and fighting with our wallets. You know what I'm saying? And then at the same time, I think that the approach of like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Let's keep this energy. Stay in the streets. You ain't going to get no rest. Nobody gets rest. You can't just walk into like nobody gets rest, you know? Right <laughs> now, like I'm showing up. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to keep showing up in the streets. You're going to keep having these outbreaks. You're going to keep having these protests, right? Until I see some real changes. You know what I'm saying? And once fools start seeing like right now, I'm going to get super federal. And I know it's a lot of words, but I'm like, okay, I ask myself, why do politicians continue to toe the line, like partisan wise. Right. And it's, you know what I'm saying? Like, like if you, you, you take, for example, a, a Republican Senator, if you will, I'm just going to pick on them cause they easy to pick on, but you take a Republican Senator, right. Who's knows for a fact, for a fact that the law he finna vote for is unjust. And the words coming out of his president's mouth are ridiculous. Knows for a fact, right? And I know because I've lobbied on I've lobbied on Capitol Hill. You know what I'm saying? That where it's like, I know they don't like it. You know what I'm saying? Why he won't speak up is because it would cost him too much. It would cost me too much to say something, right? So 
if I know that's how you work, then what can I do as a community to make it cost you too much to not say something? You know what I'm saying? Like, like do, do the, do the economics, right? At some point you got to leave Capitol Hill and come back to your district, right? And if I make it, we make it very difficult in your district. You understand what I'm saying? To continue to hold that seat. If you keep your mouth shut, right? Then now I'm going to start, this is transactional. Like in my mind, I'm like, I don't have to like my Senator. I ain't got to like him. You know what I'm saying? Like you ain't finna like babysit my children. I, you have a job to do. I need you to do this for us. And now I'm a young gun. Like I got let, let the, I let the OG talk. You know what I'm saying? But in my mind, it feel like pressure. I'm like, okay, because I see politics like gangbanging. And I, and I hate to say it, but I just feel like that's what politics is. It's just gangbanging in nice suits. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, if it's just gang gang, okay, I need to make it more dangerous for you. You see politics as gang banging. First time I ever heard that one. <laughs> it's just gang banging. It's just gang banging. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I mean, think about it for a second. Y'all just gang, you gang banging, right? It's like, you know what? In the same way that like, if I know for a fact my big homie uh-huh. is talking real reckless, right. getting us all in trouble, I'm not going to speak up. That's the big homie. You know what I'm saying? Now, when he get home, you feel check. me? When he get home, I might light him up. But in public, yeah, I'm going to check him when we get home. But in public, right. I'm like, nah, that's my dog. Right. Stay off him. That's my dog. You know what I'm saying? If he get us all in a fight, you understand what I'm saying? Right. Like, because he mouthing off to the enemy, right. I'm going to have to get up and fight. Right. I'm mad at him. But, more but than I'm not like, going to not fight. More than likely, he's a big I mean, dog. Politics. So he ain't going yeah, to. Yeah. What am I going to say? <laughs> what am I going to say? Like, if he go, hey, they talking crap about us. I'm like, nah, brother, they talking crap about you. <laughs> You were the one that opened your mouth, but I guess we gotta go scrap. You know what I'm saying? I guess I guess we gotta turn it over to the to the old dog, the old lion. Let the lion roar one more time. Okay, yeah, let's hear let's hear John. Man, I uh, the more I I I unpack this, I I feel like there's there's so many levels. I mean. The, we're touch, touching on the political, economic, spiritual. Um, there's there's years and years of history of of racism, and you know th- these these are issues that I think a, a lot of it. When when you're talking about some form of uh, prejudice, you're talking about a prejudgment that a lot of times is happening at a psychological level that is even undetectable to the person that it's happening to. Um, mm. And, and then to make matters worse, obviously there's, we don't know what we don't know. I don't know what I don't know. I'm operating out of my own ignorance, thinking I'm knowing. But the fact is, even in my unknowing, I'm threatened by new ideas that I have a natural psychological tendency to engage in fight or flight when I'm confronted with a new idea. So yeah. I feel like that's what Twitter is. It's a bunch of people confronted with new ideas that are inter- engaging with fight or flight. And it's just, just like a bunch of grenades thrown across a, a wall. And I'm looking, I'm, I'm listening to the wisdom of, you know, prop and pastor Watts and you, John, and, and I'm, I'm wondering how do, how do we communicate this wisdom to the next generation. Um, as a Christian, I see everyone, you know, all across the nation is equally deserving of the truth. 
And then as a voter, I, I want, I want the truth out there even more because these are votes that are powerful. And, and um, so that my, my hope is that by amplifying your voice, you know, pastor Watts and, and by having these conversations that, that we can actually uh, move forward into, into an understanding that, that is better than what we've been through. Um, I mean, that, that is my goal. I, I do think it comes to the heart level. And at that point, as a believer, I, I have to say, all right, I've got to get on my knees because as much as I want to point the finger as everyone else, like it has to start right here. And, and this needs transformation as much as anything. Excellent. Good work. Excellent. If I could summarize, you know, 401 years in, in just a marvelous economy of words, I think we might be to understand it. where we are now is a, a natural trajectory of where one would think you would end up if you start off and make the decision to put people in shadow slavery. And so what I mean by that is that once you enslave a group of people, you should not do it unless you decide it's going to be into perpetuity. We will never let them be free or their children because of the consequences and the collateral damage that's created. Let me kind of unpack this. The great Thomas Jefferson, right, said that slavery was like holding a wolf or fox by the ears. He says it's a dangerous proposition. He said you can't hold on to it forever, but you can't let it go. It's too dangerous. Yep. And he saw the dilemma, right? And that's why he wrote in letters to friends that if there's a God in heaven, we're going to pay for that. So now think about this. So once you start this trajectory, the value of black people in America was established very early and their value was tied to their labor. And they had value as laborers, uh, as the, uh, as the dr- economic drivers of, of, of the economy. So black people have always had value because of their labor. And so as you move the economy from LaGuardia, as you move the economy from LaGuardians to industrial, where you still need a lot of labor, as you got a lot of labor going in coal mines, working in rock quarries, you're building roads, you're building things like that, labor was valued. We decided to get in every war that we possibly could. There's always been a place to deploy black labor. And that's what people understand. There's always been a place to deploy. The whole criminal justice system in America was established to manage and to control the labor of slaves. The fact that they feared that we free these people will never be able to control them. That's why in the same amendment, the 13th Amendment, that freed slavery, there's always an exception clause. The slavery is never been abolished in America. 13th Amendment basically says neither slavery nor involuntary servitude is allowed in the United States with territories except for the punishment of a crime when the person isn't duly convicted. That's in the United States Constitution. So the first time that slavery is mentioned in the United States Constitution, the mm. first time it's actually mentioned, it's abolished in the first clause. It is then legalized in the second clause. And therefore, the government said that we will never end slavery. And people understand that. The United States government said we will never end it. So we will use uh, uh, slavery as a form of punishment. And that's why in the South, after Reconstruction, they reestablished slavery under the name of conflict leasing, uh, slavery by another name, Douglas uh, Blackman's book. You understand, if you really understand this, and so that's, this was always yeah. about controlling the labor of blacks. So after slavery, there was still a need to deploy blacks in the South because the South had to re- be re- rebuilt. 
Lands need to be farmed, sharecropping, exploitation. There's need for large military. Black people have been enrolled and have died in every war at a disproportionate rate. What I'm trying to tell you, the problem there, the dilemma in the 21st century, all the shoes have been shined, all the cotton has been picked, all the coal has been mined and needs to be mined by pick and shovel. We now got robots and we got machine mechanization. We got drones. We don't need people to go and die in wars. The problem is mm. that black people are no longer value because their labor is no longer a premium in this country. And we got people wanting to immigrate from this country all over the world. We got the worst dilemma in the history of any civilization to have a free society where everybody is supposed to have equal protection under the law and to have the people that are the descendants of slaves that have been stigmatized and have been discriminated against and have been despised by the society. This is what we got on our hands. And that's why I'm saying what we need to be pushing for is full employment, full employment. We had it mm. in 1619. We had it in 1700. We had, we, had, we had full employment for black people as slaves. And what we need today is full employment. And until you get to full employment, you have a problem in this country wow. because the whole prison system is designed to manage surplus labor of black people and poor white people. And that's who's in prison, blacks and poor whites and a growing number of brown people. We're, all, we're complicating this, thinking it's something other yeah. than that. That is simply distilling this thing down to the fact, what do we do with this surplus of people? that we really no longer need to drive the economy. But we do need, Oof. what we need is, we need work for people we didn't send to college to get criminal justice degrees, right? So we need a, we, so people, people used to work in yeah. plants and in factories, and we don't need them in plants and factories anymore in the military. So now they are the people that work in the prisons, and the people that are that are inmates, we don't need them. Let me let me just steal this down. We just one little we are a small state, you know, in West Virginia, a very small state, right? Less than 1.8 million people in our state. Our prison population has quadrupled, right, over the last 30 years. Even though our population has shrinked, the size of the population shrink, and our crime rate, we still have the eighth lowest crime rate in the nation. We don't have a very high crime rate. But what has happened is we've lost over 52% of our manufacturing jobs over the period of time. And we, we, we mine more coal out of the mm. ground per capita anywhere else in the state and world than we do with a fraction of the men that's in the coal mine when my dad and my granddad were coal mine. So in West Virginia, small state, but for our small state, our prison population went from 1,500 people in 1970 to over 7,000 people today, another 3,000 in the regional jail, another 700 or so in juvenile justice. We got about 12,000 people that's under correctional control. But watch this. There are 4,004 employees, 4,004 employees in the Western Department of Corrections, Regional Jail and Juvenile Justice. One employee for every, every three people. You can look at your state. That's what you're going to find. So we're creating jobs for this group of people over here because we don't have anything for them to do. So everybody talk about prison reform, any mass incarceration. Okay, shut down all the prisons. What you going to do with all the inmates for number one? Where are they going to go? What are they going to do? And what are you going to do with all of the people that are working in the system? Yeah. This is an economic conundrum, but no one wants to clearly articulate that. What we have is an economic conundrum, a surplus of people that the economy no longer needs. We got to manage them to try to minimize how much destruction they cause to the society. We also use them as a, part of a form of birth control because we lock these young men up. 
during all these years, they will be the most productive in terms of producing children. This thing has far-reaching consequences. It's worse than slavery. And I told Michelle Alexander that. It's worse than Jim Crow, right? This is worse than slavery, and it's worse than Jim Crow, Mm -hmm. what we have created in this country with the prison industrial complex. Because it destroys families perpetually year after year, year after year, and it basically incarcerates a whole family and whole neighborhoods. So you look at places like West Jackson, west side of Charleston, some of these cities, you look at the number of people who's already got felony convictions, so they're partial citizens. They're locked into underclass permanently. Their children are locked into underclass permanently. And I'm not going to say it's impossible. It's nearly impossible for you to pray your way out of it, fast your way out of it, preach your way out of it. It is an economic conundrum. And that's why I believe that the church should be lifting up its voice. As Dr. Perkins says, you know, the earth is the Lord, the fullness thereof. The resource of this earth for everybody to benefit from those resources. And people are supposed to be able to work with their hands and their minds and carve out a livelihood. And we need to be demanding full employment for everybody who want to work and everybody's able to work. And that's where we have to start, I believe. If we start right there, right there, everybody who wants to work and can work and is able to work, we're going to put them to work. Not giving them a check for doing nothing. The last thing I'll say is, isn't it amazing? If I go down there and I act like my IQ is 40 and limping and, and got, well, they'll give me a check. They're going to diagnose me with some, something wrong with me. They will give me a check for doing nothing, right? And we got parents who want their children to be diagnosed with a learning disability so they can get an SSI check, right? Now, I'm not criticizing the parent. The system yeah. is so messed up, right? It, it, it incentivizes yeah. that the system wants to yeah. get those single mothers who try to or get a lower degree and, and want to get a better job. They're going to start taking the benefits before they can get on their feet. So it de-incentivizes them working. Full employment, everybody who's able to work, everybody want to work. Let's put people to work in communities and neighborhood. Let's start valuing stuff that's important. Let's start paying coaches, little wow. coaches, who that's coach good. and mentor our children, who take care of our mm-hmm. kids. Let's train them to do it, and let's realize that's a valuable service they're providing to the community. Let's pay them to go into schools and mentor kids and tutor kids because they got the skill to do that, and it's something that's really important. We don't value the people with skills in our community that is a skill that is important. We don't value it to to make sure the person gets paid to do it. I mean, I've studied this. I've studied this so long in my neighborhood, and I know that we could do better than what we're doing. Things don't have to be the way they are, but the system is so designed to keep us the way we are by keeping men from working and forcing them into some, mm. some clandestine. I got young guys over here, and we got, and I'll stay in West Virginia. If you can't pay your child support, they put you in jail. You're going to jail. You're going, You're going to, jail. to jail. That's the same in LA. They're taking your driver's license. They take your driver's license. You're going to jail. You can't, can't register your car. You go to jail. Do you See, now you can't car? work. It's it's a war against these young guys. And people think that they're all just shiftless and lazy and don't do anything. I'm telling you, a lot of these brothers on the corner are slinging drugs, man. They don't take care of their kids. They don't take care of their children. Yeah. To make sure their children have the things that they need. And most of them not making that much money. They just, they get, I'm not condoning what they're doing. But I would do it if, before my kids were hungry. <laughs> yeah, right. So, right. This, yeah. this is man. 
Yeah, there's literally nothing to add to what he said. (laughs) That was amazing. Except for this, like, yeah, you're, you're, that's exactly, I was like, let the OG talk. And I will say this, like what he said, like, if you just run, if you just think pragmatically and you're a hood kid, it's like, well, my school's the worst performing school in the, you know what I'm saying? My school don't perform well. I'm not finna get accepted to college. I already got this, you know, strike because stupid me just being a kid was like, you know, I stole an orange out of the liquor store. You know what I'm saying? You tried me as an adult, you know what I'm saying? Because I'm a black dude. You feel me? Right. The Logically, the only thing to do is sell drugs. Yeah. It's the most the logical thing to do. You know? Um, yeah. I love yep. what you have to say. I feel like I just got like uh, drinking out of the fire hose of like knowledge and wisdom prop prop give me give me uh one line now uh pastor watts is used to me putting him on the spot but prop give me one line one line uh to close us out and give us some hope okay all of the infrastructures of our society are really just made up they don't exist in nature so if we made them Mm -hmm. up and they're bad ideas let's make up better ideas <laughs> good stuff, Doc. Yeah, good yeah, yeah. stuff. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. I'm I'm asking the switchfoot himself, John Foreman. I'm asking the man who I seen him switch from I seen him switch from three guitars and one song. That's all we got all that in the bag of chips. Give me, give me one line that gives us some hope. I've been looking for hope. If I'm honest with you guys, it's been a really hopeless time for me. Um, I have been looking for hope myself and I feel like, uh, my hope has to be found not in policy, not in Washington, um, not in any of that, but, uh, my hope is in the redeemer and, and his love for his kids. And no matter how messed up this system as prop said that we've made up is that, that he is my hope. That's good. Uh, Pastor Watts really quick, 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 quick. Give me some hope. Get us out of here. Give me some hope. Yeah. I think my hope is in the fact that when you got brothers like you and you brothers mean? like, uh, and brothers like Brother John and myself seeing the same thing together, we can um, vision and we can uh, reimagine things being differently and that can inspire us to continue to put forth the effort uh, to make a better a better reality. So that's the hope that I have. There are people that haven't lost hope. <laughs> there are people that still, <laughs> that, that gives me hope. There are people who haven't lost hope. Amen. Amen. I, I have hope in the fact that The Lord God says there are others who have not bowed to Baal. This wraps up another great and fantastic episode of Postulating Solutions with Preachers. Share this with someone else. Subscribe with someone else. I mean, I mean, let's let's get this word out and let people know that we are postulating solutions. Go now and love and serve the Lord. Go in peace and may the blessings of God Almighty in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you forever and always. Amen. Amen. Amen.